0: Forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Paper. As we get you set for another week of recapping Major League Baseball and some exciting debuts, uh, more COVID news, uh, some also uh, fun with the hot stove as we get ready for the MLB trading deadline. As we look at all that stuff, we first begin with our uh, tried and true. Uh, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for movies and baseball games of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Corey, another uh, warm
1: weekend at the the Popcorn Wagon, but a uh, good one? It was. It was really busy uh, until about 3 o'clock the last couple of days when it gets so hot that no one wants to leave their house because they want to leave stay in the air conditioning, which is understandable. So I can't complain, though. I stayed busy there. It... Uh, Looks like we're have, we have one more week of
0: summer uh, that is coming at Hot us here. Summer. 90 Hot degree, summer. 90-degree uh, weather coming up here this week, but then supposed to taper back down into the mid-70s. So That's the good weather in Wisconsin. The 70s are moving into fall. I, I said last week that it's, uh, it's not often during the, the calendar year that I get to brag about weather to my family in Florida. They always like to remind me of that in uh, January and February. Well, now I get to have my fun, usually this time of year when they're on the surface of the sun. Is uh, your family in danger of either the hurricanes coming in? Uh, Gulf side is where they yeah. they are, but uh, hopefully they still stay as tropical storms and don't emerge much more than a, than a hurricane one. But uh, it's 2020, so of course it's not one hurricane but two. We uh, have more of the unprecedented stuff
1: that is taking place. We have California smoke moving in. I'm told so. Yeah, Wisconsin, California smoke. Let's get a little haze going on, a little smoky smell in the air. Let's just keep going here. Uh, I think we're past 10 plagues. I don't know how, what number we're at at this we're point. We're getting up there. We're getting up there. I see that there's an asteroid supposedly coming sometime in November, so just keep keep going. Well, the asteroid also comes in November, but it might be a different type I, of one. I think it's well. like right around that date I was told, so we'll see.
0: That uh, that would not be surprising in the slightest. But on to more exciting and fun news uh, is uh, we look at uh, the upcoming uh, breakdown the last week, I should say. of uh, the, the injury list keeps mounting. Uh, as a Tampa Bay Rays fan, uh, they have their own stack of bodies going uh, higher than they can uh, count. The nearly two-thirds of their opening day pitching staff is
1: now on the injured list. I think we talked about the depth of the Rays pitching and how they could carry them, but it is being tested here. It is now the Durham Bulls that That's is pitching for the Tampa Bay
0: Rays, and they're winning. They're 14-3 uh, and three in their last 17 games. They've, it's all clicked into place. They've cleaned up some of their early season woes, and they're doing it with players they didn't expect to do that, but so is that happening with many teams in Major League Baseball. So why
1: don't we run through that list? So I I type this list in SIC and pop up, and it's literally – I'm updating this list like hourly now. So it is – throughout the week, it is crazy how many injuries we're getting. Uh, at the very end of last week's podcast, I think we mentioned Tommy Pham. He broke a hamate bone within his hand, so it said four to six weeks. The season's half done, four to six weeks. The Padres keep winning without him, but he's done for the year. Uh, Francisco Mejia, also of the Padres. He plays catcher for the Padres. He is on the injured list with a 10-day injured list. He hurt his thumb. As far as I know, that they expect him to come back. This is one that we should talk about here. Kendall Graveman. Uh, not a very well-known pitcher, but necessarily you may not have heard of him, but he was diagnosed with a bone tumor on his spine. Ooh. Now, it has been called benign, but they think that he's going to keep pitching through it, it sounds like, but that is that's scary for your life, so...
0: Anything when you're talking about being involved with the spine or on the spine is always dangerous. You know that back injuries are tricky enough. Uh, Doctors avoid back surgeries as much as they possibly can because once you start having issues with it, it never gets better. It only gets worse. So to have something like that on the spine is not the ideal situation. But I will say as long as his health is good and this works past it, I mean, can you imagine the type of toughness conversations you can have with your kids? Oh, that, that test didn't go the way you wanted to. Well, I carried a tumor on my That's back right. while I ke- and I kept working. So, I what's kept your excuse? Through
1: it, and I'm still here in the middle of COVID season, tumor and all. Uh, let's talk. Jose Iglesias for the surprising Baltimore offense. He hit the 10 day IL with a strained left quad. Once again, a shortstop. We've talked about those soft tissue injuries with shortstops. Really hard to plant. And he was on fire hitting 400 in the early going. So,. They want him back to keep up their hot streak. Let's talk COVID for a second here. Nick Markakis opted out initially, if you remember. He opted out because he was worried about COVID, came back because he assumed, I think, that the Braves had, he must have trusted their protocols, and he is on the COVID IL right now. I don't believe that they said he had it, but that he was exposed to someone with it, and that allowed them to make a nice call-up who we'll talk about later. But Nick Markakis not currently on the Atlanta Braves. Uh, One of those young call-ups, though, that did come up, and I espoused my love for him after his first start, and he's now on the IL, is Nate Pearson. Uh, It's been a little rough the last few starts, and they put him on the 10-day IL with elbow tightness. We haven't really seen the massive fastball. We've seen the impressive fastball, 96, 97. This is a guy who can hit 100 miles an hour, so... They're not going to rush it. This is not the year for the Blue Jays to push Nate Pearson to- too hard. I just don't want to hear
0: the name Dr. Andrews associated yep. with him. And anytime you hear elbow soreness, it makes you cringe. Though in this season, there's a lot more of that being categorized as that and more of just meaning you know these guys were worked up fast and their elbows are getting a little cranky initially, and so they're being extra cautious with it. So it's not as much as in a normal year when you hear elbow soreness. You can just about assume it's Tommy John surgery. This year is a little bit different. It's been happening, yes, but you're seeing more IL uh, trips with uh, elbow soreness being just more of the 10-day precautionary
1: type. I hope that is the case uh, with Nate Pearson. I want to see him get healthy and pitch again next year. I, st- I said that a couple weeks ago. I think he can be the ace of that staff. Him and Ryu's gotten it back together. After a cold start, Hyunjin Ryu is on fire. Tor- Toronto is getting set for the future here.
0: I've seen about uh, seven or eight uh, Toronto Blue Jays games as a result of a lot of uh, games against the the Tampa Bay Rays, and I've been impressed by what I've seen. The young position talent you expect. Teoscar Hernandez is on absolute fire, just scorching. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's finding a way to get on on base, or he's launching them out. Ten home runs now after today's, uh, so he's right at the top of the Major League leaderboard as well. Uh, But their pitching staff, Charlie Montoya, former Rays manager as well, Mm -hmm. Our bench coach, excuse me, uh, he uh, finds a way to cobble together that pitching staff. They are competitive. Uh, they don't have a lot of big names. They have Hyunjin Ryu there, Matt uh, Shoemaker, uh, another one on the IL. Uh, but uh, there's not a lot of like big names. But they're making it work, and they are. After watching them, they're competitive. They're they're good pitchers. They just don't have a big name recognition. And
1: I fully believe they're a playoff team. But we'll talk that later. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about another team that I think is going to make the playoffs now, and that is the Houston Astros. I still think they're going to make the playoffs, but they've been hit hard. So Bregman was first, actually. Well, he wasn't first, but Bregman got hurt uh, almost the exact same way as Giancarlo Stanton, running out a double, pulled up lame. His was his right hamstring. He is on the 10-J injured list, and it's looking like a minimum of two weeks on there. Before that, we mentioned Jordan Alvarez was back last week. He got back he hit a comes, home run. Here he goes. Hit a home run on Saturday and he is a large man. If you've ever seen Jordan Alvarez play, he looks huge out there. And his knees are kind of giving way and so he is out for the rest of the season. Played one game out season ending season ending injury with his knees. Now they did get Michael Brantley back from the injured list with his 10-day IL quad strain. So you lose a couple, you get one back. It's still a net loss. Alex Bregman's huge for that team. Absolutely. That's, those are major blows to that offense. I
0: mean, Jordan Alvarez set the league on fire last year, uh, and that was a major boost to that offense. And now losing him and Bregman, uh, whose offense has come back around. He started out with a, a slump first two weeks, and then he tore it up afterwards. So uh, to lose both of those bats uh, when already your pitching staff is more vulnerable, you need that offense to carry more weight, and this uh, does not help.
1: Let's go to a different playoff contending AL team. Let's talk the New York Yankees, who are a walking MASH unit right now. Uh, Zach Britton first. Zach Britton had been closing for them. They get our Aldis Chapman back. We're fortifying that back of that bullpen, and Zach Britton is out now 10 days. His is a hamstring, so pitcher hamstrings are not things you hear very often. I think he planted kind of funny, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, and had a uh, just a, a weird uh, – like the, he tried uh, taking another pitch afterwards when they were monitoring him, and he just fell right
1: over. Uh, so just a, a fluke thing that's in a fluke year. Uh, Gleyber Torres, shortstop. His is also a hamstring. Left 10-day. His is the 10-day aisle. His is a left hamstring. Uh, grade 1. So that is the exact same thing. Actually, I think it was both the quad and the hamstring. That is the exact same thing we heard about Giancarlo Stanton. He has not been seen in a couple weeks. You expect a couple weeks at least here. Well, and it's hard as a shortstop.
0: You don't want to see leg injuries like that out of a shortstop because you need that sudden movement and that makes those extra cranky. So if you don't want that to be a lingering issue, he needs the rest now, which means this isn't a 10-day stint. He's going to be gone at least a couple
1: weeks. Uh, You may not be seeing him until uh, we get into the September chase. Another player I don't think you're going to see it for the Yankees this season is James Paxton. We've talked about their issues after Garrett Cole and their pitching staff. Paxton had sort of been figuring it out. It wasn't his classic James Paxton. The velocity had never got there. And so they did an MRI after his last start. Uh, grade one strain of the left flexor four, left forearm flexor. Excuse me. So anytime you have problems with your arm, their pitching arm, they're gonna tell you to sit down. This is a guy who's had a history of arm injuries, so they are going to be extra cautious.
0: This is lesson learned when it comes to trading for players with durability issues, especially from a pitching standpoint. Uh, and uh, as Justice Sheffield is now pitching and pitching well for the Seattle Mariners, uh, James Paxton has been exactly as advertised from Seattle. When he's on, he's very good. He has a little bit of control issues, but overall his numbers are good, but he's not going to go deep into games, and he's going to have his stints on the IL. And now with an uh, an, uh, arm that is barking at him, a chance that you have lost him for the year when they already have lost uh, starting pitching uh, for the year. This is another big blow to that rotation.
1: Let's go to uh, let's go to Minnesota. I have a few for Minnesota. Byron Buxton takes his annual trip to the injured list and he had been on fire. He was yes. finally figuring it out, putting it all together. It seems like whenever he takes two steps forward, he takes a step back. Shoulder inflammation. He was twenty six years old still up to he was only hitting two twenty one a sixty eight at bats, but I believe he had four or five home runs. It just seems like every time he gets going, something happens, and he finds himself back in this injured list. Uh, Mitch Garver of the Twins. So he was their out-of-nowhere stud catcher last year. I think he had 31 home runs or 32 home runs. He was in the 30s. But started real cold this year, and he finds himself on the injured list right now. I do not actually have down what his is. I believe it was – I don't have it down, but – he's on the injured list, the 10-day IL. And finally, Jake Odorizzi for them, a pitcher, just went on the injured list, abdomen contusion. So if you were watching that game, he took a liner off the stomach. And because of that, I don't know how, and that could be really bad. So I don't know exactly how bad that is, but 10 days off at least. And they moved Homer Bailey to the 45-day IL. So he's out for the rest of the season. We talked about the offense. The offense just keeps clicking. But they need serviceable pitching, and now they're down. Jake Odorizzi. They're down. Rich Hill's back, I guess. He pitched an inning or something against the Brewers and struggled. And so you never really know what to expect out of him. You hope you get innings out of him, but can't keep losing guys. Yeah, the those injuries keep mounting, and I, as we talk
0: through some of the others, one one thing to point out, uh, I suppose, uh, I'm trying to find a silver lining in all of this. Uh, this year, we've. Uh, I'm a big prospect guy. Uh, being a, a fan of the Tampa Bay Rays, you're always going to be in the farm development, and you like watching guys coming up. And, well, that's one thing you lose this year. There's no minor league season. Well, guess what? Minor league season is pretty much at the major league level now. With all of these injuries, you have teams that are calling up their prospects uh, to uh, fill in rather than quad A guys. We were talking about this before we got started. And uh, so we're seeing some of these big call-ups, and we'll talk about those in just a few minutes as well. But uh, you're seeing these prospects now getting their development time
1: at the major league level. I love that. That's the best part about this weird COVID-shortened season with only the 60 men to choose from is, like you said, there's only so many players to pick from, and you want to get these guys innings and get them playing anyway, so get them to the big leagues. Update on Mitch Garver. It is his side. That's why I did not have that one down. It was his side injury for him. Uh, let's uh, Reddit men- obliques can be an issue yeah. With a catcher, for sure Anything can be an issue with a catcher You need all your whole body to play that position uh, Let's mention some interesting pitchers Pat Vendite is a pitching relief pitcher for the Marlins Famously a switch pitcher He pitches from both the right side and the left side He's gone on the 10-day IL with a right oblique strain so, so I saw a bunch of people Oh, he pitched from the left side Now switch it up And he probably could It's an interesting He wears, If you've ever seen him pitch He's got a six-fingered glove Because he moves his thumb back and forth It's pretty cool and then a very scary one, uh, Jose Alvarez, who'd been the best pitcher in the Phillies bullpen, took a 106-mile-an-hour heater off of Lourdes Gurriel's bat right into the groin, had to be taken to the hospital. I They haven't officially put him on the IL. I, I hope he's okay because, if you've seen the video, he actually gets the out, which is just otherworldly impressive to me, and then just lies on the field. And I I haven't seen any update. I just looked before this, and it just shows the video over and over again. So prayers man prayers absolutely Uh, let's go to some rangers players here elvis andrews 10-day injured list he'd been cold too back strain willie calhoun young pit young hitting player for them i believe he's playing dh used to play a little outfield Not definitely not known for his defense but left hamstring 10-day il those are some we've talked about their rangers offense has been real bad and still struggling and losing two more players isn't going to help them
0: No, and uh, they're one of the teams that I think is primed to be a uh, major player at the trading deadline as a seller that we'll talk about coming up in the podcast.
1: One of those other teams is, I think is actually going to be the Washington Nationals, which is just unbelievable, but I think they're going to be a seller. Just a quick update, last time you heard from us, Steven Strasburg had disappointed me one more time by getting hurt. Update on him, he is out for the year. Carpal tunnel syndrome, so that's something you get from typing a lot now. Pitching uses your fingers, which carpal tunnel is all based on the fingers, but I have honestly never heard of a pitcher having carpal tunnel syndrome.
0: That is a, uh, a fluke injury for a textbook for this guy. He just when he is healthy, he is dominant, but it's hard to keep him on the field. And the hard part for that one is there's a considerable chance that he's gone next year too. Uh, and so that's the the major challenge for that, and so that's going to be for Washington as they were hoping that maybe they could start getting themselves into motion and, and gearing up for at least just to get in. You know, when that team gets in the playoffs, they, they do well in short series with their type of talent, but I think Strasburg is the final nail in that coffin to say, not this year, start looking at next year, and some of those rental players or if there's anyone that they can... Uh, Uh, Trade for future assets, I think they're going to look that way now.
1: I have a few of those names that I think might be traded later on in this year, which we'll get to later. Uh, Let's do Salvador Perez. Catcher missed all of last season for the Royals. He has been out with some interesting injuries, which you don't hear about very often, but they they mention it as blurry vision. After a little check, it's called left eye, central serious Oh, choreo which is a mouthful. And I'm sure I just messed it up about a hundred times over, but if you can't see, you can't catch, you can't hit. So he's struggling with his eyesight, right? Everybody's dealt with blurred vision at some point, I'm sure in your life, whether you get up too fast or whatever, but you're not trying to catch a hundred mile an hour fastball. And if you've seen Josh Stomod pitch for them, they have a relief pitcher throwing 103 right now. So take your time off. That's something that you just hope. I don't know if you can fix left eye central, serious choreopathy with contacts or something, but, Just hope that he gets better. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk Drew Pomeranz. We mentioned Drew Pomeranz last week because he was filling in for the injured Kirby Yates as the closer for the Padres and doing it very well. I don't believe Drew Pomeranz is yet allowed an earned run, but then surprisingly, he didn't pitch. They had a couple of save opportunities early in the week, and he did not pitch, and so then he found himself on the injured list with a tight shoulder, which shoulders worse than elbows. Yes. Shoulders worse than elbows. Now... It's sound they're downplaying it. This is a team that's red hot right now. They're downplaying it and saying that they think that he can be back. They've turned to X-Ray, Emilio Pagan, the last couple of save opportunities, and as I they said, they've been winning games, so you hope that really they are just downplaying it, and maybe he is back in 10 days, but you don't want to have to deal with that shoulder if you can avoid it. They have been decimated by injuries from the bullpen.
0: They thought that would be a strength. They went out and tried to acquire guys uh, in the off season. They wanted to turn that, what was already a solid pen, into a uh, a full uh, dominant. strength uh, dominant pen and uh, they've been dropping like flies
1: here's a guy that just gets mentioned among the worst players in the game now the Baltimore Orioles offense has been incredible and it's not because of their I believe 184 million dollar player Chris Davis I believe that's what he is getting paid he's just coming along for the right just remember they paid Chris Davis that contract and they could have given it to Manny Machado that's a that's yeah. a poor choice that they made there. But he's on the IL too, left knee patellar tendonitis. I honestly I have not watched enough Orioles games to know if he's been playing well or not. I'm assuming he hasn't been because I feel like if he was I'd hear it. Um, Jay Bruce was playing pretty well for the Phillies and he is on the IL with a quad injury. So they're going to need. They've called up Alec Baum. I believe they moved Adam Hazely into the DH role, which is where Jay Bruce had been playing. The Phillies are playing some better ball this week. It looked like. Uh, a couple of surprising young pl- – pl- a couple of surprising players to start this season. Dylan Moore, who has been tearing up with Seattle, has went on the 10-day DL this week. Or, oh man, I said DL again. The IL with a sprained wrist. Dylan Moore, I don't know if you've seen Dylan Moore much, but along with our buddy Kyle Lewis, has been tearing up the league for Seattle. Dylan Moore right now at 282 with five home runs and three – no, sorry, excuse me, six steals already. Pretty good. Yeah, they have
0: uh – uh, some interesting players that have been coming up with, with Seattle. The wins haven't been there, but player development has been, and there's some promising uh, young players that
1: are part of their new core uh, that they are developing over there. Another su- surprising player to start this year. I'll say surprising. Austin Slater, the Giants. The Giants not winning games, but Austin Slater's been surprising. Kind of not the surprise of Mike Ostremsky, but uh, 40 at nine at bats. He's got four home runs, hitting 347 expect, obviously, that's going to come down, but Austin Slater hits the 10-day IL. He's got a groin injury. He'll be out for those days, and then probably the last big name on this list, at least for injuries that I saw, is Chris Bryant. We mentioned him last week. He was kind of nicked up and missing to games and playing a game, and they finally just said, you know what, Chris, take your 10 days off. Officially, they classified it as a finger injury, which... That's always hard to with a pitcher or a hitter because left ring finger is what they said left finger finger sprain. You have to grip the bat. You have to be able to do that. And so if you can't grip the bat, you don't know how long it's going to be. I it's they said he heard it diving for a ball. So I I don't know if he'll be back soon. You'd like to think that ten days is all he needs because it sounded like they wanted to keep trying to play him as long as they could, and you just hope it didn't make it worse. Last news note here I have is that Paul DeYoung was. Yadier and Molina were both activated from the covid IL list so the Cardinals are back playing games. And it's nice to be at uh,
0: full strength that way as much as you can be and uh, trying to play uh, catch up because right now uh, of all of the divisions and, and next week I think we'll we'll break down to do a division update and just a chance to see where everyone stands uh, because right now if there's a we said that the top two teams in each division are making the playoffs, Plus, the two teams left with the best record. That's what we're looking at from a playoff standpoint. Hmm. That second spot in the NL Central is wide open. Uh, With the Brewers tumbling this weekend, we'll mention that more later. Uh, You now have, and and Cincinnati faltering through, they're not uh, clicking it on all cylinders like we thought they would. Uh, That second spot is wide open. Uh, and uh, who is going to, to take it. If the Cardinals can get themselves going, it's it's there for the taking, that's for sure. Well, let's take a look at news and notes as we uh, transition uh, to uh, some different highlights, some fun things we saw in the past week. Uh, probably the, one of the more interesting ones or entertaining ones, feel-good story, is the Seeger brothers had a chance to face off uh, in interleague this week,
1: and both launched home runs. In the same game, the first pair of brothers that launched home runs in the same game since 2001. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I believe Corey was the one who started the game off. He had a home run in the second, and Kyle, He has obviously they have to run by each other, right? They're playing second and short, or third and short, so he had to run right by him, and he kind of winked at him, and Kyle then matched it, I believe, just the very next, the top of the third, So, and he kind of smirked at him, and you could tell they were... You know, you're against each you other. Can do I can do better? They're against each other, but you're happy for each other. So it was it was fun to see. And if, anytime you have a fun story like that, that's great. And the next one we're going to talk about isn't fun. So let's talk about an unwritten rule of baseball here.
0: I I don't know how much this actually is an unwritten rule versus someone being a sore loser uh honestly because the the context we're talking about what's been the talk of baseball this week, and it's been interesting to see is Fernando Tatis swinging on a three o pitch uh with uh what i like guess seven run seven run
1: lead in the eighth
0: inning yeah i I started putting it to, out of uh in context of this this week, I started putting together my favorite or best maddenisms Joe Madden <laughs> with his quirky sayings. Uh, has an interesting way of putting things. And I I started doing that because I wanted to, not only uh, for baseball but for life, live life by the Madden Doctrine. And here's the Madden Doctrine on this one. Players were upset, including his own Eric Hosmer, went and talked to him uh, about his own teammate, saying how maybe you shouldn't be doing this. And this has been the talk throughout baseball. So my response to it is this. According to the Madden Doctrine, the rule that applies here is... Try not to suck. That's what Joe Maddon said to a guy making his Major League debut with the Chicago Cubs a few years ago. Here you are in the moment. Well, his, his managerial advice, try not to suck. So you know what? If you don't want a guy launching one into the stands, maybe you shouldn't be in a 3-0 position to begin with. Or number two, don't throw a pitch that he can launch into the stands. But even in that one... You go back and watch it. It wasn't a bad pitch. He went out and got it. It was an excellent hit, and I'm not going to blame him uh, for doing what he's supposed to do, especially when in another game when they were up by four or five runs, uh, they came back. It became a tight game. No lead is guaranteed
1: here. We're going to talk about their offense this week because it has been absolutely (laughs) on. I don't know if Chris Woodward got under. That's the Rangers manager, for those of you who don't know. Chris Woodward is the Rangers manager. I don't know if he got under their skin, but they have just been pounding the cover off the ball and they're going to get mentioned in a little bit here but it is I mentioned my dislike for the unwritten rules of baseball a few times and the idea that a player for purposely is told to fail essentially is don't do what you're good at like this is already a game where hitters if they're excellent and Fernando Tatis is excellent get on base four out of ten times with a hit three out of ten times and if you can hit one that you a pitch that you see absolutely hit that pitch I can't stand the idea of just purposely taking a pitch to make the other team feel good. You want to feel good? Win the game. Beat them. The Padres were winning the game, and he hit a home run and a grand slam. And you guess what? When it comes to contract negotiations, that's another home run. That's four more RBIs that Fernando Tatis gets to chalk down. Someday he's going to go into arbitration, and he's going to want a lot of money. And he will have earned that money because he is already really good. And when he says, look at my stats, that's four more RBIs and a home run. So anytime you get a chance to hit a home run, Fernando Tatis, you swing away.
0: There's... I get the the manner in which you do it. Be respectful when you're doing it. Don't stare at a home run long, for a long period of time showing up a pitcher. That's showing up a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Hitting a pitch and you actually successfully hit it and you launch it into the, the stands, that's what you're paid to do. That's the point of the game. So I, I don't want to hear anything about unwritten rules that – Somehow make it to be, you did a bad thing. And number one, I'm more upset at Eric Hosmer than I am at Fernando Tatis. You defend your teammate. He didn't do anything bad to anyone else. And I don't care if you agree or disagree with the unwritten rule. You don't do that, and you also don't talk about it. That should never become public. If you want to privately talk about it, go right ahead. Don't air your dirty laundry. That's not being a veteran professional trying to help a young player. And number one, you handle that in the clubhouse and... Then, as a team, you can decide if you agree with that rule or not. But again, the Madden Doctrine states uh, that Fernando, Tat- Fernando
1: Tatis is well within reason. When you come to when you talk about airing your dirty laundry in public, that's so. Chris Woodward complains, and Jace Tingler, who's the Padres' first year manager, unfortunately says something like, "I know he, he was upset that he told Tatis to take a pitch or something, and Tatis didn't do it. Well, if that's the case, that's another thing. You talk to him on your own. Like talk to him in the dugout." You don't no one wants a boss cuz that's Jace Tingler is Fernando Tatís's boss. No one wants a boss to call you out in front of everyone. So if that's the case, talk to him and say, "Next time, congratulations. You hit a home run. Next time take the pitch. Do not tell me in a press conference that I told him to take the pitch and he hit a home run."
0: I appreciate what happened later in a different game, 3 and 0 count, he stared down his dugout. It's awesome. He's And then swung.
1: I love it. Absolutely. Fernando Tatís is moving up everyone's favorite player board to, I would, if you ask many people right now, who's the player that most aligns with what you, that most represents baseball or at least the youth crowd, I would say it's Fernando Tatis just because he plays fun. The hair is cool. You're California cool already with Mm -hmm. the Padres and uh,
0: the way he plays the game. And again, think long-term here. And another reason why you don't uh, mention this publicly and you talk to him privately is, you want him to be happy. You want him to want to stay on this team. Yes. You don't need bad blood with a a, uh, a guy who is growing into superstardom. You don't need that type of uh, uh, stuff happening right now. Things are going good. You've now launched, as we talked about the second part of the Padres, mm-hmm. five grand slams in seven days. Life is good right now.
1: Don't get in your own way yeah they're setting major so as I said Chris Woodward so he hits that grand slam and Chris Woodward gets upset with him and it's whatever but that's on Monday he hits the grand slam Tuesday night Will Myers hits a grand slam Wednesday night Manny Machado hits a grand slam and Thursday night Eric Hosmer hits a grand slam becoming the first team in major league history with a grand slam in four straight games Four straight games. That's just the idea of even having a chance for a Grand Slam in four straight games is unheard of. But they hit, hit them in four straight games. And then they took a couple of nights off and waited till Saturday before Jake Cronenworth made it five and six games. Incredible. The Padres are on an absolute tear right now. I don't think they lost this week since the last time we talked. They've won seven straight. Yeah, they have not lost this week. So I, I moved them up pretty high last week in my power rankings, and I'm feeling pretty good about it because this is a team that's they're all starting to click on all cylinders, that offense is at least. And uh,
0: that's what you want to see in this. You have such a margin for error this year in this weird year uh, to make the playoffs. And once you get there, anything can happen. It's always a crapshoot. Uh, so right now you're seeing a lot of positives take place. The Padres are looking very good. It's one of the few things we were right about uh, in our offseason podcast, and uh, Fernando Tatis is a big part of it. That offense is a big part of it, and I can't wait to see what they have uh, yet in store for us as we go into the second half of the year.
1: Have you seen their Twitter account switch their team name from the San Diego Padres to the Slam Diego Padres? I'm loving that nickname That right is right an now. amazing nickname right now. That is, that is that that's, well done. Whatever uh They uh, need to turn. get that team marketing right like If you're going to market this team, that's how you do it. Uh, whatever intern came up with that name,
0: promote them. Give mm-hmm. them a, a chance in that, that marketing that team guy right a there. that full-time role. Uh, but let's talk about teams that are coming back to earth. We knew it would happen. Even when we did our power rankings, uh, our heat index last week, we knew that this was going to happen. I gave a ranking based upon what they did to that point to give them credit for what it was did. there, but saying that the, the bottom is going to fall out here eventually. And man, has it fallen out for the Colorado Rockies? One and nine in their last ten games. They've lost seven straight, and they were trounced by uh, the Dodgers this weekend.
1: This was this is what we said. Let's see them start playing the Dodgers. Let's see them start playing the Padres. And this team is this team is not on the same level as the Dodgers. And that's kind of what we thought. The Dodgers are. I believe we both had them as our number one team. They're the best team in the game right now, even on a cold. Not as good of a week as the Padres. I think that they get Padres gained one game on the Dodgers. That's how good the Dodgers have been. But the Rockies, I still think their pitching is just not consistent enough.
0: No, they have some uh, some young talent that's uh, that started out well, but the consistency definitely is not there. Uh, and uh, they're an interesting team because now they went from leading that division to being one game under five hundred. Doesn't take uh, much. Now again, if you can right the ship enough. You, What we said from the very beginning is as much as you can bank wins early, you set yourself up to still be in a playoff chase for this year. They don't have to sell. When we start talking about the uh, the hot stove and on what teams do we see as buyers and sellers, they don't have to sell because, uh, again, you have enough playoff spots that are there, but you do need to take an inventory right now, and you're one week away from needing to decide are we in this thing? Do we want to try to go for this thing? Or is it better to be building up future assets? And and what do you see as you have guys that maybe are under contract for next year, but that's it? Do you plan on re-signing them? And if you don't, now would be the time to get the most for them. I think if you wait until the offseason, there's way too much uncertainty with how this even this next year is going to go. A team would be more interested in giving up assets if they get a, a year-plus out of someone. You go into that rental stage, and that price drops immensely. So someone like Trevor Story, mm. do you are you going to re-sign him? Is he part of your core, or is he not? If you don't see yourself spending the money for him, since you're already agonizing over the Arenado contract, if you're not going to spend on Story, start getting the word out now that maybe he could be available for the right price.
1: He is. Under contract through twenty, he's a free agent in twenty twenty two. So one more year after this, correct? Yeah, you gotta. If you're gonna move him now, you can probably get a haul for Trevor Story. I'm trying to think where would he would fit in well among some of these contenders. A lot of them have good shortstops. Mm, the Yankees? Who the Yankees got over there? Torres is hurt. Interesting.
0: It's an interesting name, but it depends upon you need a general a uh, front office to be decisive. Uh, And right now also the the Colorado front office is on the hot seat. Uh, And so you may not be able to make these decisions, or if you're making the decisions, whoever you're getting back is going to be for the next guy coming in. And so that tends to be a a challenge for making those types of moves when you would rather try to sneak into the playoffs and at least say, hey, I got us to the playoffs this year, uh, even though extenuating
1: circumstances made that pretty easy. The guy on the Rockies I think is most likely to get traded is Herman Marquez. I think if they're going to move someone, I don't I think he's under contract for a couple of years. I could really we're talking about the Yankees. I could really see him making sense to fill in after James Paxton's arm injury and stuff. Actually, he's under contract through 2024. So wow, they got a few years now. Never mind then, probably not going to happen. That's John, a long time. John
0: Gray, I'm trying to look to see Gray. where he's he's at right now. Yeah, his numbers are not good for him it's early John Gray
1: has got to get out of Colorado John Gray has had to deal his entire career in Colorado with consistently massive splits between Colorado and on the road just because of the fact that it is such a hitter's park he's the, the pitcher that I would want again he
0: is a free agent in 2022 so you have one more year with him uh, and yeah the numbers aren't good right now but he has a four-year track record of averaging three uh, wins above replacement Uh, in the past four years. He has been very good, uh, and I would be willing to trade something decent for him knowing I have him for sure through next year. That's a guy I would love to see the Tampa Bay Rays look at with some of their uh, starting pitching issues and depth becoming a concern. Uh, Brendan McKay is one of those guys that was injured uh, that is going to be gone through next year with his shoulder issues. Uh, finishing up the kind of the injury stuff with that. Nick Anderson just went on the 10-day IL. Chaz Rowe is on the 10-day yeah. IL. And half of the rotation, or half of their pitching staff is on the IL. So here's a, a guy that would help you both this year and next. And despite the Rays being pitching rich, uh, with this type of injuries decimating their system, a lot of their big-time pitching prospects are still a year away, development-wise. So you have mm-hmm. a gap here that needs to be filled. Uh, And at this point, you can't count on Brent Honeywell to actually be there. Uh, You hope for him. Uh, You're really hoping for a good thing. The idea of that screwball,
1: the idea of seeing the screwball in person on TV, even just mm, I've seen videos like something that you hope, like Moby Dick, like you want to see it just one time. (laughs) So we'll pause
0: here on the, we got jumped into the, the, yeah, the, the I hot stove the head, with uh, with the Rockies here, and and this is why because uh, we talk about the teams that are that are free falling, and now Colorado's there, and they could be one of the biggest uh, difference makers at the trading deadline as a, as a seller. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, uh, Baltimore is the other team uh, that they're at a five hundred record now, mm-hmm. but again, they're still hanging around, but they're now being passed by three teams in the AL East. It is going to be awfully hard to do anything this year. Uh, so they're coming back down to earth, which was to be expected. We thought they'd be the worst team in baseball. Uh, so I uh, still had a 500 record. You have to be happy with it. You have to be happy with how some of these offensive players have shown signs of life. This is a positive year for Baltimore, regardless of whether they stay at a winning record or not. But let's talk about the call ups. Uh, that have taken place in this past week. Again, we mentioned uh, for anyone that is a, a, uh, a fan of the farm system, that is a fan of player development and opportunity, uh, you're seeing some of these big-name prospects making their debuts, especially in this past week. Uh, from a, Let's start with pitchers because there were some big uh, like top 50 overall, top 25 uh, in all the baseball pitching prospects that made their debut this week, and, man, did they shine. We talked about Casey Mice with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, he lived up to the billing. Sixto Sanchez uh, with uh, the Marlins. Man, what a debut. His first 12 pitches uh, were noted on on Twitter of the 100-mile-an-hour fastball and then like a 91-mile-an-hour 90, slider. That was just uh, incredible to see. And then Tristan McKenzie. Uh, how can you not be jealous of the Cleveland Indians? Oh, uh, my God. They just churn out pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. They they, they traded away some of their older big names in this past offseason, and they just keep coming up with new ones. Tristan McKenzie just dominated in his debut. Uh, So those three were my my big pitchers that I'm seeing. Am I forgetting anyone? Uh, The other
1: one on the Tigers is Tariq Skubal. I think it basically said Tariq Skubal is how they say it. He actually Dane Dunning too. So there was five big pitchers really that called up this week. Let's start with Casey Mize, former number one overall pick of the, out of Auburn by the Detroit Tigers, actually made his debut against Dane Dunning with the White Sox, which I think was something like the first time ever there was two guys in the same draft. You sent it to me, but it was very interesting stat. But yes, Casey Mize came up, only went four and a third innings, pitched very well. The stuff is absolutely on display. I think he can strike out a lot of play. He struck out seven in that game. I think he can do that quite regularly with the fact that he has really has six above average pitches, not just five, six. He's got a fastball, a slider. He has a ridiculous split fingered fastball that just drops off a table. Uh, Dane Dunning, he only got the one start and then he got sent back down. He is with the White Sox. They send him back down. He'll be back up at some point this year. You'd expect they, this is a team that the offense is finally starting to click. The White Sox offense is starting to click in. Let's see. Let's get some of the pitching back up here and let's see what they can do. Uh, Sixto Sanchez. Sixto Sanchez famously was traded two years ago now for JT Rio Muto. That's who the Phillies gave up to get him to Philadelphia. Oftentimes it's kind of a weak comparison now just because they're both on the Marlins. But the late Jose Fernandez, who is setting records for most strikeouts per nine innings, his arm is just like that. Very, very live arm. You're Like you said, he's touching triple digits, and then he's throwing 90 miles an hour with his sliders and his changeups, and he's making professional hitters look bad early on. So he went five innings the other night and struck out four only. But he had I, – I watched that start, and I was very impressed with what Six O Sanchez has to offer. And then you mentioned Tristan McKenzie – if you didn't see the start from Tristan McKenzie, he's I got a cool story too. He's been in the league. He's actually almost twenty, no, he just turned twenty three. He's been in the league for five years, but two years he's missed full two full seasons he's missed with pitching injuries. Six foot five, one hundred and sixty pounds. So he looks like a string bean on the mound, but his arm is extremely live. And once again, another guy. He's touching triple digits up there with ease, and he on paper had the most impressive start. Six innings. It was a quality start, which. In today's pitching environment, there is literally like 20 pitchers in baseball that are being trusted to go six innings at regularly right now. No one is being trusted to go six innings. People are, because of the deeper bullpens, it is a lot of bullpen games. But six innings, got the quality start, got the win, struck out 10 players. Now, I think they played the Tigers, but
0: Still. I don't care.
1: I don't care. When you can throw like that, he is going to have success for a long time
0: in this game. I promise this will be the last tease for the hot stove, and that's that Tristan McKenzie's debut makes me believe that the Indians will move one of their pitchers uh, by the deadline. That's Mm -hmm. the last tease I'll do. I will do a recap, though, of some of the, the stats that were out there this past week from players we've just talked about. Casey Mize and Dane Dunning debuting against each other. It's the second time since the amateur draft began that first round picks debut as starting pitchers versus each other. So since nineteen sixty five, it's That's only awesome. been, happened twice. The other fun one, since we've been having uh, uh, a lot of drooling over Fernando Tatis Jr., his twelve home runs at the time were the most by are the most by any twenty one year old in his team's first twenty six games of a season in the modern era. So since nineteen hundred, only Mel Ott, who we mentioned in our greatest ever lists. When we just talked about those names, only Mel Ott uh, is second on that list in 1929 with
1: 10. When you're in the same category as Mel Ott, who's considered one of the best players of all time, you know you're doing something right, right? Absolutely. Oh, let's talk about some of these hitters that got called up, though, before we move on here. So you mentioned, we mentioned the Orioles, so maybe not. They're playing right around 500. They finally, the player that I think one of us mentioned way back when we did prospect previews was Ryan Mountcastle, who had a great year last year at Triple A. And I was in our, prodpe- yeah. our prospect podcast. Yes, it was. And we we both thought that they'd probably call him up from day one just because why not? We Trey Mancini is hopefully d- pray for that guy still that he's battling cancer as far as we know he's doing okay. And they finally waited and Mountcastle's up. I believe he played shortstop for them the other day or left field. He's been bouncing around down in the minors, which I was not aware of. I thought he was playing at second mostly, but I think they played him at left field. I think he is one for eight in his first couple days, but expect good things from Ryan Mountcastle. I would expect him to, to come up and have a nice career. It'll be nice to see another basher
0: on the uh, the Baltimore offense and, uh, yeah, hoping for good things, uh, from him. Uh, we also have Christian Pache, uh, as the, another big, uh,
1: hitter making his debut. Yeah, young. Christian P- Pache, I believe they say that, but he, uh, Thank plays you. for the Braves. More known for his in- incredible defensive prowess. Think Andrew Jones. If we're talking Braves players, right, think Andrew Jones. I had 10 gold gloves, uh, I believe they clocked his arm at just under 97 miles an hour. He almost threw out a guy from center field on just an howitzer throw to third. So incredible defender. But the bad is it's not as good as the defense, but it's it's solid. Um, I would expect if Acuna gets healthy, I think you probably will not see a whole lot of Pache just because I don't think they expect him. They didn't expect him this early, so anything they get out of him is a little icing on the cake. He could be someone that we mentioned as a possible trade move. I have thought that it would make sense to move Christian Pache from Mike Clevenger. We'll see. It's just speculation, but I I was impressed. I watched him at bat the other day and he looked competent at the plate, which is when you can play defense, like he can, that's all you expect.
0: Absolutely. His, again, his defense is going to be his calling card. And uh, right now, Atlanta needs every single thing that they can get at this point from all the injuries that have decimated this team, and uh, he is going to be a a chance to ease in uh, with this. Again, when you can shine with the glove, it it makes your
1: offensive debut a little bit easier as well. Let's talk about the one I'm most impressed with, or most, uh, not impressed, most excited for, and that's Joey Bart, the catcher from the Giants. So Casey Mize makes his debut. He was the number one pick overall in 2018. Joey Bart was number two, and he is a catcher for the Giants. Uh, last year, he spent most of the season at Class A hitting 265 with a 116 WRC+. He did get up for a double A, and he had batted 316 there, and then he kept going in the Arizona folly, getting it up to 333 but he broke his thumb there. So that could be a reason why he didn't start the year with the club after Buster Posey opted out. Uh, everybody knows the defense for him is considered superb also. he can He's going to stay behind the plate as long as his knees will allow him. That is how good he is back there. And then... Very impressive batter. I believe he had a couple doubles already in the first few days. So, Joey Bart, I would be, I'm very impressed with Joey Bart and think he's going to be a big time offensive catcher for the long time. This game,
0: he's uh, uh, again when you come from Buster Posey and his prime to now going to another uh, high end catching prospect. Some some teams go decades without seeing even one decent catcher uh, on their list and to be spoiled with this type of uh, abounding riches at that position. Uh, it'd be awesome to see the Giants. Uh, uh, some of their pitching, de- or their player development has been going a little bit better this year than perhaps anticipated. They've also been an interesting team for revitalizing pitchers. Uh, again, I said that would be the last tease. Okay, there is one more tease as we transition into it. Uh, but the uh, there are some... Uh, rental starting pitchers that the Giants have who have shown signs of of life, Uh, additional uh, all those under-the-hood things that you look for, additional uh, uh, spin efficiency, and some of these other things coming from players who have shown success earlier in their career are now showing more signs. Their miles per hour are up on some of their pitches as well. So, again, we'll get there. Mm -hmm. I keep teasing it. The last one that we have is Give Them the Heater, guys who had an amazing week. Uh, From a a hitter standpoint, you have to mention Jose Abreu on this list. My My goodness, what a a week he's had. What a series uh, he had.
1: He set a record in this latest series. The last three games they played the Cubs, the little crosstown rivalry there in Chicago, and tying a mark, six home runs in three games. At one point, I believe he had four consecutive at-bats where he hit a home run, and just on absolute fire this last couple of games. I think the White Sox won two of three there. They got beat by another guy who you're going to mention in a second here. Uh, yeah, tied. It's been done five other times, six games, six home runs in a three game series. Hesop Choi was the most recent one to do it. Sean Green, who I believe did that against the Brewers when he hit four in a game. I think I was at the four and a, I was at the four home runs in a game, and I would guess that's against the Brewers. And then A. Rod and Barry Bonds. So that's in the live ball era since 1920. That's the only ones that have done it as far as it says here. So, Jose Abreu, that's that's certainly getting it done. That definitely gets you into the the top of the, uh, the AL home run
0: champion category right now in the, in the league. Uh, when you hit six and three games, that's going
1: to bump you up on any list. The White Sox as a whole, just a red hot, too. Seven-game winning streak until today and, and during those past nine games, 30 home runs in nine games. This is a team we said their offense can carry them, right? So all it takes is a little pitching.
0: And speaking of pitching, you Darvish is
1: who we're highlighting this week, 2-0 this week,
0: 13 innings pitched, 14 hits given up, two earned runs, two walks, 17 strikeouts, and beating teams that are in playoff contention or can be. He beat the White Sox, uh, uh, one of the teams to actually be able to uh, uh, to do
1: that, and the the Cardinals. I wish – I know there's a way that you can set it on baseball reference to by a certain date and go from there because if you set it – from last year's all star game through current times, it is incredible how good U Darvish's last year plus has been. I be, after struggling last year to start the year where he was giving up walks and home runs, it has been on fire ever since then. He's currently sitting at four and one this year with a one eight ERA and 30 innings. He struck out 34. Uh, did you know that you Darvish, as I'm looking here at his baseball reference page, did you know that U Darvish is the all time? leader in strikeouts per nine innings that's impressive 11.1 I didn't I don't see gold very often unless we're talking about the goats so when I see gold I just get it catches my eye but yeah you Darvish still keeping it going from last year I think Chicago has early on in there they were a little disappointed with that massive contract they signed him to six years 126 million but he is pitching up to it now it
0: took him a little bit to get started but he has been the ace that they have wanted and needed uh, ever since then, uh, since you know by a trading deadline last year, and he has been lights out, uh, from that point. Uh, and you have a, uh, against a hot White Sox team, uh, who are also going up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, this next week. So that could help pad the stats. I don't know, they're uh, hot right now. Though, yes, the, uh, Let's get to our Pirates positive before we finally we go into the, into the the hot stove. Again, we've been saying each week we're going to say something <laughs> positive about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, I think this just became a rolling uh, uh, thing that's, that started organically and now it's just kept going. And unfortunately, it's at Milwaukee Brewers' expense. The Pirates swept the mm. Milwaukee Brewers this weekend. And I I still remember on Thursday... I watched the, the Brewers game. It was Wednesday or Thursday, whichever their last game was, before that series began. And I was telling myself, you know what? You're starting to see things starting to click. Like, players are starting to get into a groove. It seems like this is a turning point, and especially with Pittsburgh here, if you can get some momentum going, you're going to head in the right direction. And they proceed to just let the air out of the tires.
1: I, uh, uh, yeah. Obviously, I watched... I watched two of those games I didn't watch most of today's because of the popcorn, but the Pirates came in at 4-17. 4-17. And and they leave at 7-17 with almost as many wins as they... I shouldn't say they came in. They were in Pittsburgh, so it was at Pittsburgh, but... They played well. Pittsburgh played well. I thought the Brewers were... Honestly, they weren't even in it the last couple days. They were not competitive Friday and Saturday. They weren't even good games. The Brewers had them today. They were up going into the 8th inning, and I believe it was the first time this season that they've lost a game after having the lead after 7. David Phelps gave up a home run. Gregory Polanco had multiple home runs in the series. Brian Reynolds had multiple home runs in the series. Josh Bell is still frigidly cold. My fantasy team is still waiting. Someday maybe he'll figure it out. But Pittsburgh, three games winning streak. Keep going.
0: So there's your Pirates positive note for the week. Now we'll finally get into uh, what we've been teasing this entire podcast uh, is the hot stove. Uh, And it is starting to uh, heat up immensely. Uh, We've already had one trade to kick things off Uh, this week. You have the Philadelphia Phillies and Boston Red Sox coming together in a very peculiar (laughs) trade uh, as the Phillies bolster their bullpen, adding Brandon Workman and uh, is it Heath Embry? Embry, yeah. And uh, and again, both good players for this, but when you're, I guess it was still made before they finished their week, and they got swept over the week, and now they're 9-14, and
1: 14 and I'm just wondering, what in the world were they doing? It literally comes down to, you're talking about maybe the two worst bullpens in the game, and that is including Pittsburgh. These two bullpens have been horrendous, terrible, The Phillies have given up lead after lead after lead. And I mentioned their best reliever got hit in the groin. So maybe that's where this comes from. But the Red Sox bullpen, also really bad. So I'm assuming, I think Workman is going to slot in as the closer. Hector Naras will move back into the setup role. In order to get him, they traded off the ever-disappointing Nick Pavetta and Connor Seabold, who's actually a decent-ish prospect in the Red Sox rotation. Connor Seabold could very well be their second, third pitcher in their rotation just because it's that strange with native Aldi and whatever else they're going to throw out there that day. Nick Pavetta is only a couple years removed from being exciting, like really exciting in baseball. He was considered a pretty high-end pitching prospect not that long ago who has kind of went the right way of Robbie Ray. I've talked about my dislike for Robbie Ray on here before. Consistently inconsistent. Yeah, so if Nick Pavetta maybe a change of scenery, this is Dylan Bundy. Sometimes all it takes is a change of scenery, a new pitching coach, figure something out. Maybe the Boston Red Sox pitching coach will get Nick Bavetta a new pitch or a new rotation, and he can figure it all out and be what they always wanted him to be in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, This is a you, – you just never know. Sometimes that change of scenery is exactly what uh, a, a uh, player needs. Speaking of Dylan Bundy, as we're in that uh, era right now with the Angels free-falling <sighs> down – uh his name is starting to be bandied about as a potential uh uh player that could be moved uh, especially in the uh the death of pitching uh of having able bodies who can give you innings right now with the uh, the massive amounts of injuries pitching is at an absolute uh premium and he only has one more year left of arbitration on his contract so again you could keep him for next year but i suppose it depends what you could get for him, and if you view this as a selling high moment, so that's going to be a, another key, uh, key question here. But and uh, after he had his first bad start earlier this week,
1: yeah, and it, and wasn't, it wasn't terrible, and it wasn't when Dylan Bundy used to have bad starts. It was a meltdown. It was eight two nine innings, runs. eight runs, and this was four innings, four runs, and it was he gave up a couple of home runs that was against the Giants. It was unexpected just because the Giants' offense hasn't been spectacular. It's not been terrible. Like you said, they've been better than I think we both thought maybe they'd be. They've been still at the bottom, but Dylan Mundy. Yeah. If you told me that you were going to get the six innings of two earned runs that he gave us at least in July, maybe not the nine innings of one earned run. That's spectacular. But if you told me that, if you told a lot of teams that they could bank on six innings of three, four earned runs, I think they'd be lining up for that. Today he uh, assuaded all concerns
0: over Was this the start of, is he now, Not as good. He pitched today. I didn't know that. Five and two-thirds, seven hits, uh, two earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. So he gave up four runs, but only two were earned. Six strikeouts, one walk. Again, that a is,
1: very good performance. That is exactly what a lot of teams. If you told a lot of teams they would get that Dylan Bundy, it doesn't need to be the nine innings, ten strikeouts guy. Which obviously you take that too. But if you could get that, a lot of teams that are contenders are going to line up for that.
0: When it's fascinating, if you look at his swing and missability, it's always been there. Okay. Uh, it's been a eight and a half uh, or above for his K per nine, uh, and then you know there's some walk issues that was there, but it was the home run issues. Yep. That have been plaguing him uh, in, in his career. And so getting that back down, his exit velocity against is only 86 miles an hour. It's not a, a terrible rate by any means. Uh, so he's intriguing uh, for anyone that would want to keep him. I can see why the Angels would want to keep him, but that would be one name to consider uh, as we uh, look at the, the trading deadline coming up. So let's break it down this way. Let's take a look at teams. Who are the, the buyers? Who are the sellers? Uh, and really, this is an early litmus test of who's in the, looking at the playoffs and who's not. That's how you're looking at this list. Uh, and so you have for buyers in the American League, you still have the uh, Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays from the AL East, Twins, Indians, and White Sox in the AL Central, and then Astros and A's in the AL West. Uh, when you break down like who's the top two teams or teams that are contending for a playoff position, I think there you're looking at the potential buyers. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the American League.
1: I would say that if the, let's talk about the White Sox first. If they could get a Dylan Bundy, something like that, and they have plenty of young hitting prospects. Now they've had some injuries. Nick Madrigal still hurt. We mentioned that. Danny Mendick has filled in admirably. If you could tell now, Dylan Mundy is not going to, with only a few months of team control, is not going to land somebody super spectacular, amazing. And they have Michael Kopech, who opted out of this season. He's not landing Michael Kopech. That's the the White Sox still plan to use him in the future. But Danny Mendick for Dylan Mundy, the White Sox would love to slot him in between Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel. He's the exact type of uh, uh, higher uh, uh,
0: end arm that, uh, at least the potential. The talent and still under team control through next year, that a team like the White Sox would fit perfectly into that. I, I agree with that completely. Uh, let's look at sellers though before we look into the specifically at these teams. Uh, sellers in the American League, uh, Red Sox have already started it. Whatever whatever isn't nailed down, there is open for discussion. Although with that dumpster fire, I don't know
1: what you want uh, at this. I level. saw somebody mention Xander Bogarts, and I imagine it would take. An absolute haul to please to ply to plead to ply to pry a player like Xander Bogarts or Rafael Devers away from that team. Other than and that, all the above, yeah. Other than that, I can see any player on that team being traded, including J.D. Martinez.
0: That's the one that gets mentioned the most. Although, again, uh, yes, there's more teams that can use a DH now, so that does make that a little bit more interesting. But his cost level, unless the the Red Sox were willing to eat some salary, and maybe they are. Uh, I I don't see him being being moved or as a, a premium trade ship. Uh Baltimore, uh, now as things are getting, and it's more to do with the Blue Jays rising
1: than it is completely with Baltimore faltering. They uh, have some players that are just still on an absolute heater. That yes. Anthony Santander, just move him for what you can get because I think that he's playing, I think he's pretty good actually, but I don't think he is suddenly the best offensive player Powerhouse in the American League East. I think he's got ten home runs. I think he's second behind only Abreu. So, and then uh, Michael Givens
0: uh, from a relief pitcher standpoint, uh, his value is not going to be higher uh, when there's a, such a need for for pitching right now. Uh, you look at teams in the AL Central. You have the, the Royals and you have the Tigers in the West. You have the Rangers, Mariners, and Angels. Uh, and and from there, there's some interesting talent that can be acquired.
1: Yeah let the Angels first. Tommy Listella always seems to find his way into these lists. Any team always wants a serviceable middle infielder who can do a whole bunch of little. He can play third, second, short, bounce around. I think LaStella could move for the Angels. Um, David the white, Fletcher has David been uh, Fletcher. has been bandied about on Twitter a lot. Same basic thing, right? He can play all. He can play the outfield too. So those Punch and Judy guys who can fill in when you need them. And Fletcher's been actually been really good this year. So I don't want to undersell how good David Fletcher or Timeless Tell has been because I've mentioned their their problem is just the fact that they don't have any pitching out there. But uh, the the, the Royals, we've heard Whit Merrifield's name mentioned in trade rumors for for two, three years, and all he does is keep playing well, moving positions. Doesn't matter what position he plays. He keeps hitting, stealing bases. There's got to be a team that would love to put that guy at the top of their order. You mentioned J.D. Martinez. If you want a DH, Jorge Soler, who uh,
0: had forty-eight home runs last year, uh, he has one more year of team control. But uh, is I don't expect much from their their position staff. They they love they love Whit Merrifield so much. I just don't see them actually moving him. Uh, but their relievers is where teams are going to come calling. Trevor Rosenthal is healthy. His fastball is back, uh, and uh, then you have Greg Holland. Uh, down there as well, and there's some other uh, lesser-known names that are very
1: effective too. And I said, uh, I think they have I, they have their closer in waiting there. I don't know if you've seen Josh Domont pitch at all this year, but it's like a Chapman bringing it out there. He's throwing 104. I, I think he's got something like 28 strikeouts to four walks. Let me pull this up here. If you, I don't know if you've seen his Statcast data, but it is like a red cherry across the board. It is whenever you see a lot of red on Statcast. That's a good sign. 99th percentile in strikeouts, 99th percentile in expected batting average, 88th in expected ERA. So I don't expect Josh to want to be traded, but it means that they have the person they to fill in in the future.
0: Absolutely, and if they're willing to eat any salary on it, another veteran is, uh, uh, is uh, uh, Ian Kennedy, uh, who is uh, – the numbers uh, – the
1: ERA isn't shiny right now, but the underlying numbers are good. Anybody uh, – any team would be happy to have Ian Kennedy slot into their bullpen knowing that he will eat innings. He has done it. His, he used to be a starter, right? So they made right. him a closer, but he used to be a starter. You could put him out there and say, hey, Ian, eat us three innings today. Sure.
0: <laughs> he is uh, the uh, the lunch pail uh, pitcher who mm-hmm. can just get the whatever job needed done. Uh, so let's take a look at, from we mentioned different teams and players that could be there. Uh, let's take a look at most aggressive buyers and most aggressive sellers. Uh, Who are the the teams that we see really trying to be, uh, to to get that difference maker or to be extra aggressive at the deadline to improve their team uh, with playoff hopes Uh, of the American league teams. Who do you see uh, being the most aggressive?
1: Well, your Rays could really use some of those relief pitchers. That would be a big move. Now, I don't know if I'd say that they're the most aggressive. If I'm thinking most aggressive, I think that that would be... Hmm. Let's go to the Houston Astros, which might be a surprise, but they've just got enough needs where I think that they could make a move for a player like like Taiwan Walker, right? So He's on Seattle, pitching very well this year. Rental. Under a one-year contract, Houston has all the pieces, and right now, Granky is carrying him. Did you see his 52 mile an hour pitch today? Did you happen to catch that one? I did not. Oh, called his own pitch and threw like an ephus up there. But Granky is carrying him because Verlander's hurt. And then it's a lot of Christian Javier's, Framber Valdez's, and they just don't have the depth in their rotation. And I'm not saying – Taiwan Walker's had a history of arm problems. And he has never been a pillar of consistency. But if you're already going with a bunch of inconsistent guys, why not pick up another one who is right now pitching well? So – I could see a move for a player like Tywon Walker. Uh, Kevin Gaussman has pitched really well for San Francisco. He is my underrated pickup. By yeah. the way, we'll talk about uh, about players
0: as well within this. But as we're talking about Gaussman, I uh, he uh, is I mentioned San Francisco like revitalizing veteran pitchers. Uh, his spin rate has gone up. His miles the, per hour has gone up. It's all about the splitter. It, his thing has always been. It's all about the splitter. Baltimore and it's days, back. yeah. It's back, and he was, uh, remember now with his Baltimore days, he pitched in the AL East, and he was always effective uh, with that. So w- with these uh, his health being there right now, uh, that's a guy you can get who's not going to cost you major prospects, but I think will be a major difference maker. It's why I like him for the race, uh, because they're the type of team that they're not going to go after the big-name guy but they're going to get some of the others that are going to be effective for what they need to get done. So or they find the guy before he is the big name like Nick Anderson last year. So is that your most aggressive team then, Tampa Bay? I'm going to go with the, the White Sox. Uh, they Let's Get that picture. They were uh, the team that was the most aggressive in the offseason. Uh, it's starting to click right now. There's no reason to take your foot off the pedal. Uh, I see them making a move. Whether, whether or not it's the big move, uh, they are the team, either them or Houston, makes the most sense for Lance Lynn. Hmm. Uh, The idea is that the the Rangers uh, can move one of their pitchers that is still under contract through next year. And and he would be a great fit. You need a guy who can give you innings. As we talked about, it's hard to get starting pitchers to give you innings. He has done it for the last three years, over 230 innings pitched. Uh, He's going to give you six, seven innings uh, and do it very effectively. Houston... With the type of veteran yep. players they pick up, he's tailor-made sure. uh, for that rotation. And to be the uh, the veteran anchor uh, for the White Sox with what they're doing, he makes sense there too. I can see either one of them ponying up what it takes
1: to get him on their in their rotation. So the Yankees, we've mentioned that they have Garrett Cole, and they have Garrett Cole, and they also have Garrett Cole. And they have a lot of question marks after Garrett Cole. Is Clint Frazier, who is... Not that far removed from being a top end outfield prospect who finds himself consistently buried by the Yankees and even when they have injuries, does not find his way into that. Even when he plays well, consistently plays well for them, does not play all that often. Does Clint Frazier move at this trading deadline to get a player like Lance Lynn, Herman Marquez?
0: I don't see how they don't. Uh, you have your big, your big, uh, uh Outfielders are already under contract for multiple years. It's Stanton. It's, it's Judge. You don't have room for him. And at some point, you are going to stimmy his, not only his growth, but his trade value. I think this is the last shot you have to actually get something for him, and your pitching rotation has so many needs. How do you not use him? when This is a team that wins now. They don't worry about tomorrow. It's about winning today. They shouldn't, uh, and and especially with that, uh, the wealth of resources that they have. Here's a guy you can trade to at least get, uh, and it doesn't have to be a rental with him. Again, you can get in the conversation for Lance Lynn or some of the others that are there. Now, if they want to go rental, uh, there's some guys we can talk about in just a minute. There's a, uh, uh, are the Reds buyers or sellers? We'll we'll hold hold off on that one, but let's talk about aggressive sellers then the in the AL. I think there's two teams that are going to be where everyone comes calling. Uh, and number one is the the Rangers. If you want starting pitching, I think that's where you're going to. If you want relief pitching, you're talking to the Kansas City Royals. I think Trevor Rosenthal is the biggest name for uh, a relief pitcher that's going to be out there.
1: I did not realize the Rangers had lost eight consecutive games until I yes. looked at this. Wow, that is really bad. Uh, Yeah, that both uh, absolutely Kansas city has the rotate the depth in their bullpen for teams who want bullpen pieces. Like you said, Rosenthal, Greg Holland, Ian Kennedy, all those guys can slot into a bullpen. Uh, Detroit, I would mention Detroit. They've played above their head, but two and eight in their last 10 games, they've Kron would have made a lot of sense to get traded. He's hurt. Uh, Jonathan scope at second base makes a lot of sense to get traded. Um, I believe they still have Cameron Mabin in their outfield. And then a lot, it comes down to the other one that I want to mention is Baltimore. Just because of the fact that you mentioned Santander, Pedro Severino, Renato Nunez, Rio Ruiz. Are those guys really this good? Are they really going to keep pounding this ball around the park? Or do you try to capitalize on what they have? Capitalize now, trade them, get a prospect, two prospects, and speed up your rebuild because it's it's still rough. Like Other than what's they've gotten good production so far, but – if you look at their minor league system, there is not and a lot pitching,
0: there. pitching, and pitching. They have massive needs for pitching. Whatever you can get uh, that can be a, a reasonable starting pitcher uh, as part of your rebuild, that's got to be what you're looking for. Uh, before we dive into players, let's switch to National League and do the same thing for teams. Let's first okay. talk buyers. Uh, we have uh, in the in the NL East, you get your Braves uh, and Mar- are the Marlins a buyer? I want to hear this one. That, that's the question. Like, I'm going to even list three. I'm going to list the Mets here, but the question is, are the Mets, are they going to actually sell? Uh, are they still uh, on rose-colored glasses thinking about their team better than what they uh, than what they are? That was the challenge last year. They added last year, and it didn't work out. Here's another situation where is history going to repeat itself, or are they going to get aggressive? They have, They have one of the few things to find, and that's premium position players. Uh, that you could potentially trade for pitching. To me, that's the team that matches up the best with the Cleveland Indians if we talk about starting pitchers that could get moved. We'll talk about those individuals in a minute. The National League, uh, or the Central, uh, Cubs, Cardinals, Reds. Again, where do you classify the Reds? Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Uh, And then you have the Dodgers, Padres, and then now Rockies and Diamondbacks. I think those are two teams that at this point should be looking at Uh, at selling but it's been hard to convince them
1: otherwise so far San Francisco's won six in a row good for them I didn't see I'm not keeping up on Uh, this on those west coast teams apparently not good for me but that's awesome good for them too (laughs) again just like
0: Baltimore and uh uh and the Rockies initially just to get something positive going for it fun uh, to make you hope for a better tomorrow uh, is fun to see as well uh all those teams, I mean, Braves, you know, you look at their especially. Marlins, let's talk about it. Do you see them as buyers, as sellers? Do you see them waiting? No No one wants to be too aggressive. And they're in the middle of their rebuild. And you need those uh, prospects that are coming up for their future. Uh, I so, think they
1: should sell. I think they should sell because they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. It's starting to slip a little bit. The Mets are coming on strong. They might be able to hold on and play in the playoffs this year if they want to. But you just said you're you're going towards a youth movement. You called up Bull Sanchez. We only mentioned six two. They also called up Jesus Sanchez, who's an outfield prospect for him. He's started extremely cold. He fits very well with the Lewis Brinson and Monty Harrison mold that they've they've tried to acquire these athletic outfielders. And some of them have struggled just because they struggle to make contact. But they have some good options there. They have Corey Dickerson. They have Jonathan VR. They halved Jesus Aguilar. Those guys could all bring in prospects back. Maybe nothing super high-end in this shortened season, but something. And I, I, Whereas you could keep them and maybe compete, I would try to sell and kick that rebuild, keep it going. I think
0: if they win this week, if they are close enough at the end, uh, I think they're going to cave into pressure with some of the challenges they've had there. Uh, Derek Jeter wants things to look good. Uh, and if you can say we're ready to contend now, if you can say you're a year ahead of your development and you can chase the playoffs now, uh, I can see them doing it. I don't think they're going to be so risky as to trade any of their top prospects, but I can see them trying to, to buy something to, uh, to get the uh, uh, fan momentum going that they're we're no longer talking about three years down the road, we're talking about now. Uh, I can see them doing it, uh, and I think it depends. This week, a lot is writing on it. With this week, I just think the Mets are too stubborn. I don't think they're going to sell. I think they should, uh, but
1: I think they're too stubborn uh, to uh, to do it. I the Mets the Mets are the weird team that we talk about the most on this podcast. It seems like just because there's so many weird ways they can go, I don't think they're going to sell their players. I don't think they're they'll probably not be very aggressive at all but i think they're going to stand relatively pat the one that always comes up is like they always had to have a glut cuz they have conforto and dominic smith has been really good and brandon nimmo brandon nimmo right those three there's like three players for two positions so it's it's possible but i don't see him doing it and then you have J.D. Davis
0: and uh, yeah. uh, Jeff McNeil and Amon Rosario and uh, I forget who's at first for them. I mean, Pete Alonso obviously, but uh, there's other players where like some of these guys are better fit to be first base. But you already have one of the best first basemen in baseball right now. Uh, so what do you do with this? Th- their team doesn't make sense. They're no. not. They're not compiled well. Then this doesn't uh, count. Robinson Cano nope. uh, with and it. So again, he's you have been still very good players. ever since
1: he came back. Uh, too many players for too few positions we actually didn't mention I don't know do we ever mention that the Mets didn't play this weekend and there's that too they, they also they had a COVID test so the Mets and the Yankees have not played in the last three days so we don't know who on the tested positive on the Mets but someone did and it,
0: they're looking at a five or six game series against the Yankees next weekend good luck. Uh,
1: they're looking at doubling up uh, games there did you see that Seth Lugo got moved into the starting rotation too or they're going to move him into the starting rotation, they're going to stretch him out, and they said, move him into the starting rotation. They're putting Edwin Diaz back as closer.
0: They keep messing with Seth Lugo. Uh, he's I, been I, really good, too, so I just let him pitch back. He's one of the best uh, uh, set of men in the National League. I don't know why they keep messing with him, and that's going to cause that causes shoulder injuries. Players can't does. go back and forth. Unless your name is John friggin' Smoltz, you're not going
1: back and forth with that, and he still had arm injuries as a result of those things. So we put Seth Lugo in the rotation. They have Jacob DeGrom, rock solid, right? Rick Porcello won a Cy Young Award with the Red Sox, but eh, like, you're going to keep him in the rotation, right? You're not going to mess with Rick that's Porcello. That's a rental that you could get something yeah, that's for. That's a, why I wish they would. Steven Matz, Seth Lugo, and Corey Oswald is a Mets rotation then. So, yeah, Porcello and Matz, you could certainly get something out of either of those guys. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, Our preseason pick
0: to really do something, the Cincinnati Reds, what do you do if you're their GM? Uh, you've been buying big since last year's trade deadline. You picked up Trevor Bauer. You signed Nicholas Castellanos. you've you've made these moves, and the wins aren't there yet. Do
1: you double down? What do you do? They have good, like they have great trade pieces, right? Trevor Bauer is a free agent. Continues to sign one year contracts. He's never going to sign an extension. It's just the way he's going to keep going about it. Keep betting on himself, and it keeps working for him. Sonny Gray's been good. Trevor Bauer's been good. Luis Castillo's peripheral numbers look awesome. The ERA, if you're looking at the traditional stats, has not been there. The peripherals, I think he has the highest swinging strike rate in the game, which is a good indicator of success. Wade Miley and Anthony Scafani. It should be working. The pitching should be working. Like you mentioned, some of the hitters, it should be working. Joey Votto has been, he started pretty good. He's been pretty cold lately. Second base has been an issue. Nick Senzel's been hurt. He's had COVID, I think they haven't, I don't know if officially they ever announced it, but he was kind of upset when they came out and told him he couldn't shake hands. So you can make the guess there. Ekiyama hasn't been exactly what they thought he would be. So they have pieces. If I was this Reds general manager, I would go in, I would try to get another infield player who could bounce around like, like a Jeff McNeil. I think he would be a good fit there. Like or a, David Fletcher. Sure, David Fletcher. Any of those guys. I think that's the type of player if I was the Reds GM, I'd try to get. Now I can see where if they do try to trade, they could Trevor Bauer could be the biggest piece that moves. If if they want to trade Trevor Bauer, there'll be teams lining up to get him. Absolutely. And I I, I agree. Again, we've talked
0: about that second spot in the National League Central is wide open. And yeah, the the, the wins haven't been there for you yet. But you have but if you believed in the team you've assembled Give them time to work it out. Uh, Try to add to it. Players that would be, I would say you're looking more for controllable after this year, someone that can be with you for contending next year with it. Uh, But I would at least try. I would not be sellers if I were the Reds, though Trevor Bauer could be the biggest piece that's there. Uh, I think you're also trying to convince keeping them, so go for it. Yet I would not sell there. Uh, For the teams that are more of your traditional sellers, what we'd be expecting at this point, I think with the Strasburg injury, the Washington Nationals now move into that uh, position. Uh, the Phillies should,
1: uh, but they just went through and bought, so I don't know what you do after that. I don't know that. how that team is 9-14. and 14. and lose. They've lost five in a row again. I I see they're winning tonight so far. As, this, as we're recording this, they're winning against the Braves 5-3. to three. I don't get the Phillies right now. It's very confusing to me. Nola's been incredible. Wheeler's been what they paid for so far. Arietta's been pretty good for him even and Zach Eflin Spencer Howard's been a we don't know if we ever mentioned Spencer Howard Spencer Howard's another pitching prospect a pretty good pretty highly rated pitching prospect who struggled so far coming up but it's been their bullpen they have a horrendous bullpen now this would be a team that a Trevor Rosenthal a Ian Kennedy two pieces get two new players yes you added Brandon Workman you added Heath Hembree those are not the answers this is that is not the answer to what this team needs. Give them patchwork, two, three players here in this team to try to refine your bullpen.
0: We've seen teams go on seven-game winning streaks easy, and if you do that, this team uh, is completely different. So you're one hot week away uh, from contending. It's that close with it; the margins are that close. So yeah, keep adding to that that bullpen. Uh, it
1: does make sense if everything else is clicking. Yeah, I don't. I just look at this lineup tonight. The lineup they're putting out there tonight is currently Andrew McCutcheon, fine player. Reese Hoskins, really cold so far to start the year, but two for four tonight, pretty good. Bryce Harper's a candidate to win the MVP award. JT Ramuto, candidate to win the MVP award. DD Gregorius, doing fine. Gene Segura, Alec Baum, called him up three for three tonight. Really, maybe the prospect that came up and started playing the best initially, Andrew Knapp and Roman Quinn. So, yeah, the bottom of the lineup, like, you could use a – you're not – Andrew Knapp is a catcher. The only reason he's playing is because Rio Muto is so good. They have to leave him in a DH. Usually he's not playing. And Roman Quint, maybe you can use a center fielder. Kingery has been, I think Kingery might be the one who's been most affected by COVID. He had COVID and he seems to have really tanked it to start this year. But overall, that is a lineup that should win you games. So, Absolutely. So I don't know how you improve that lineup much, but you can certainly improve the bullpen.
0: So from the rest of the the teams like for your sellers, Brewers, Pirates, and and Giants, I think that's their like Brewers. I I and I don't know even who they then, sell. I, that's just it. I don't even know what there's. They're in such a confusing spot. Uh, this was a team again, just a couple of years removed from being this uh, three outs away from going to the World Series, and now I I don't see a, a future. I don't see a present, but I don't know what you. What you even, how do you change the situation
1: to make it better? You're not selling some of their young players. You're not selling Brandon Woodruff. You're not selling Josh Hader. You're not selling Adrian Hauser. Um, Christian Yelich is there to stay. So you're not moving any of those pieces. Then you go to the older veteran guys, right? Justin Smoke. You're not going to get anything out of Justin Smoke. He hasn't played good enough. Omar Narvaez looks terrible out there right now. I don't think he's that bad, but he's looked awful. You're not trading Keston here at second. And then Sogard hasn't done enough to get traded. Uh, they just DFA'd Rock Holt, Healy hasn't done enough, Jed um, Jerko, all those veterans that they signed, it was a idea of, let's sign a bunch of high-variance players, and let's get and two or hope. three of them to work. Let's get two or three of these guys to work, and this could be a great year. And it's been, none of them have worked. Solgaard hasn't worked. Avisal Garcia's been fine, fine, but he's certainly not been what they hoped for, but Jericho Healy, Logan Morrison, Justin Smoke—none of them have worked out. So you're not trading any of those guys at this point. They're not getting you anything. The lottery ticket method did not work this year. No, nope. and now I think it works better in 162 game season. So That's true. For, if you're a Brewers fan, and I'm a Brewers fan, right? So if it's been disappointing, absolutely, it's been disappointing. I think it can work better in a 162 game season. You have a bunch of high variance players, and they're in—they're in a cold streak right now. They're—they're all, they're all cold. I don't know what to say in 162 games. Justin Smoke is not going to hit. 190 or whatever he's at right now. He might get to 220, but he's probably hitting 30 home runs. It just takes hot streaks. And the silver lining for any Brewers fan
0: is uh, the young pitching is developing. You're seeing lots of positive signs. Uh, Brandon Woodruff has been taking another step forward. That's great to see. Uh, You're seeing some of the other young pitchers. uh, uh, Freddie Peralta has his hot and cold moments,
1: but you're seeing more hot than cold. And Corbin Burns was great again, didn't he? So, yeah, it's not... It's not as dire as it seems, I don't think. It's just been a lot... You know, we watch them and they play... Their offense... They just got swept by the Pirates. The offense has been so inconsistent. But you're not going to trade any of these guys away and get anything out of them at this point. So I think it's probably standing pat because you're not going to trade off... You're not going to trade Freddie Peralta to get, you know, Josh Bell or... They probably won't even get Josh Bell, but one of those type of players, Howie Kendrick, you're not trading Freddie Peralta to get that because he's not fixing this team. The...
0: What this team needs is going to be uh, opening up the pocketbook with some money clearing off in free agency. When you have uh, Ryan uh, Braun's contract done this year, that money needs to be reallocated uh, to something better than lottery tickets. Mm -hmm. And that needs – you tried it, especially in a COVID year, I get it. I don't mind the philosophy of what they tried to do. There wasn't a lot of big-name guys out there or real impact guys that was worth spending bigger dollars on. You could make the case that maybe – you should have kept
1: uh, uh, your price catcher. Grandal uh, or is right? They let them both walk. And that, so, when you let them both walk, you, that's a lot of offense. <laughs> absolutely. So you could have re-signed
0: one of your own guys. Uh, but at this point, uh, next year, you're, you're going to have to spend in the off season to try to uh, get what you were not able to get back with that but we'll save that for the offseason let's take a look at most aggressive buyers what team in the National League do you think is going to be the most aggressive at the deadline
1: the most aggressive at the deadline okay um I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves because it is Max Fried in the rotation and a lot of guys that they didn't plan on starting they we've they lost Soroka they've lost Carlo or Cole Hamels and before he ever started and Felix Hernandez and so it's They keep winning, right? This is the team, it is the opposite Mets. It is the opposite of the Mets. The Mets find ways to lose, the Braves find ways to win. So right now, and they have a deep minor league system, very, very deep. This is the type of team I could see make a splash for a guy like, if Trevor Bauer's available, go get him. If Mike Clevenger becomes available, go get him. Because you are currently leading the NL East. You are doing that with Ozzy Albies hurt, with Ronald Acuna hurt. They're going to be back. It was wrist injuries, I believe. Wrist bruises. It's not like that's a season-ending thing. So you're winning without him. Go get yourself an ace to pair with Max Freed. And hopefully Mike Stroke is back next year. I think Clevenger is under control for two or three years. Get him in there, and this team can be set in the NLEs for a few years. Yeah, pitch uh, starting pitching right there. That's a, a
0: specific need uh, with a farm system to go out and get it done. And so as long as you can get a guy that's under multiple con- uh, multiple seasons of team control, that fits here. Then it's worth spending from your your prospect uh, uh, haven and actually going and getting a guy that can help you win now and in future seasons. I'm gonna go with uh, your favorite over in the west Coast, the Padres. Uh, they are clicking on all cylinders right now, but they need more bullpen help. Uh, this is a with that GM. This is also where Trevor Rosenthal makes a uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, you have some of these types of players that that fit there, uh, and uh, I, I see the Padres
1: being very aggressive uh, aggressive sellers. That's on another the, team. That, sorry, the Padres are another team. They have just like the Braves. They have po- prospects for days. It doesn't. Uh, top 30 prospect for the Padres, even if it's a 20th prospect, is considerably better than most teams' 20th-rated prospects. So if you see a Padres prospect or a Braves prospect getting traded, and then you look at it and say, oh, that doesn't seem to make much sense, these teams are deep farm systems.
0: Absolutely. Uh, as far as sellers go in the National League, I, again, we mentioned Reds uh, uh, and, and Mets that needing to uh, uh, potentially either to be stay put or should be sellers, but... Who's going to be the most aggressive seller? Who do you see as a, as
1: a team trying to uh, uh, retool for next year? Oh, it's probably Arizona would like to be sellers. I think Arizona would love to sell a lot of their pitching, but does uh, anybody going to buy? Because this is the team, I think this is the one that way back a few weeks ago, you mentioned, you know, Robbie Ray, he's getting redone. Everybody loves Robbie Ray. He's going to be redone. They're going to try to trade him, and it has been a dumpster fire. Robbie Ray has been Robbie Ray. And they're not trading Zach Gallen. That's not happening. But they'd love to trade Luke Weaver, but it's been bad. So you're talking about a guy who's got a 7 ERA right now. And they're not trading Merrill Kelly, I don't think. But they're going to try to trade some of those pitchers. They wanted to. I think they probably would have loved it if Madison Bumgarner was there. They might be like, oh, let's see if we can get anything. Now, he's under control for a few years. But I, don't, I think they'd like to trade. I don't know if anybody's going to buy those guys or John Jay or some of those types of players that I think they'd love to move.
0: No one understands what's going on with Robbie. Right, the uh, the wheels have completely come off to start the year. Were they ever uh, on? At least maybe with duct tape and <laughs> glue, but they were at least on somewhat. I mean, his his uh, walks per nine was in the four to five range, which already is huge. That's his massive. his home run uh, rate was at between one point three and one point five, which is already That's huge. Like serviceable,
1: at least uh, like for what he pitches with all the strikeouts, you can live with that
0: ish. Yes. Uh, and. And, the, and then the strikeouts, twelve per nine. I mean, yeah. that was that's always the tantalizing yeah. thing. You can live with some of those other elements when he's performing that well. His ex-FIP has always been good; is outperformed his ERA uh, throughout his career. But then now he's at zero point five negative wins above replacement. Uh, his uh, walk rate is up at eight. Uh, his home eight. run his home run rate is at three. Like it's just the wheels have completely hate. come off, that's and uh, uh unless a team is brazen enough to try to to fix, but you're in short time, you don't have the time to let this go through. So, and I don't see anyone actually making the the trade for him.
1: And then uh, I, I mentioned yeah. Luke Weaver; he's a couple years removed. Two thousand, the first year when he got traded from the Cardinals for Paul Goldschmidt, he was part of the Paul Goldschmidt trade. So you know that's impressive in itself, but. The first year, or last year with the Cardinals, he was at a 4.40 ERA and a 3.88 FIP, and he had the year before that almost a sub three FIP. And since he got to the Diamondbacks, last year was okay. Got hurt though. 64 innings, 2.94 ERA. This year, 18 innings, 9 ERA, nine. Nine ERA. No one's buying these guys. And th- those are the ones they'd like to trade. So I think the Diamondbacks will try to sell, but will anybody buy? I don't I mean, think maybe so. Maybe
0: Archie Bradley from a
1: relief pitcher standpoint, yeah. but he hasn't been lights out either. So Cole Calhoun, they signed to a one-year contract. He's been hitting home runs. He's doing exactly what he's always done. He hits home runs, and he strikes out a lot. And I th- maybe someone will buy him to play left field for him, but it, I don't know how many people are going to be interested in what the Diamondbacks are offering. I don't see a major team, unless the Rockies
0: decide, uh, I don't see a major team on the National League side. So let's talk about, we've talked about uh, teams that should be looking at buying and teams that should be looking at selling, but let's look at actually where the rubber meets the road. Who are the players that are worth buying? Uh, When we look at the hot stove, uh, let's start with pitching. Who's on your list of guys that are worth trading for?
1: Well, we have to talk about Mike Clevenger and Zach Sack here, right? So the Indians have kept them down 10 days at this point in the minor leagues or alternate training sites, sorry, not minor leagues. Tristan McKenzie's up, and his start alone is going to force one of those guys out of this, almost single-handedly, because they are not needed anymore, necessarily. It's not like... Mike Clevenger is going to get a job somewhere. Zach Plisak will have a job somewhere. It does not mean that we'll be with the Indians. One of them probably will no longer be with the Indians. It is going to take a haul to pry Mike Clevenger out of the Indians. But some team, like the Braves, that needs pitching, can get this done and then have a few years of one of the – he's only – I think he had, was finished fourth in Cy Young voting last year. He is an excellent pitcher. Now, Plisak, a little less proven, but really good this year. Like A guy like Clint Frazier back to the Indians for Zach Plesac makes a lot of sense for both teams, if you ask me. I like a Mike Clevenger for a
0: Jeff McNeil type with the Mets. The Mets did that type of deal with Marcus Stroman uh, mm-hmm. last year. It just didn't work out with uh, opt-out uh, for uh, COVID. Uh, but Mike Clevenger makes a, a lot of sense, and they have uh, – the, the Indians want offense, and they want uh, – just like they traded uh, uh, Trevor Bauer – uh, before. They'll, they will trade while contending to try to pick up major league pieces that can help them now. Uh, and so I don't see Clevenger moving for futures down the line. I see him being moved for any sort of offensive help that makes sense for them for multiple seasons, especially if it's on a multiple seasons with a team-friendly contract. Uh, maybe Whitmer- Merrifield would make a lot of sense, but it, Clevenger doesn't make sense for the Royals. So Jeff McNeil is a guy that makes sense to me, uh, and I could see their
1: uh, Mets GM doing something like that. I saw, I don't remember where it was on, but there was some speculation that the Dodgers would be an M.Y. Clevenger for Gavin Lux and Josiah Gray, which are, I don't gavin lux is a top end prospect and josiah gray is another they have prospects for days out there and i just can only imagine how amazing that's already the best team in the game and you add him to it and that's just insane when you when you're able to just put gavin lux up there uh, like he still never got up right like they're in Corey seager's not giving up that spot easily so and he can play second so i know they could play second for him but chris taylor's been fine E.K. Hernandez has been fine. There's no reason to get Gavin oh, Lux and, up here and, if you don't need him. And
0: that's a hedging your bets if you're the Indians. You can get Gavin Lux. He can do second base, but then he can be – uh
1: has got – he's uh, coming yeah. up for free, for free agency, too. They he need to it. figure out what they're doing with him, and you could already have your insurance policy in-house then with this. Yeah, so Free agent after 2021, 20, free agent in 2022. So, yeah, it's, they're going to have to figure out what they're doing with him.
0: Lance Lynn is the – as we've been mentioning all along with this, I think is the, the pitcher most likely to be – Moved uh, that uh, can be a difference maker uh, for a year and a half here. Uh, So again, we mentioned White Sox being a perfect team for him. Uh, Mentioned the Braves would be from the National League would be a perfect fit uh, for him. Uh, So I see him being the uh, the biggest name likely to go. I think Mike Clevenger could, uh, but it's got to be for the right. uh, Not everyone can have the right pieces to make that one work. Uh, but Kevin Gaussman is the one that really intrigues me. Uh, and uh, and he's not going to be uh, flashy. Uh, he's not an ace at the top of your rotation. But if you need a guy that's going to help you be uh, competitive or bolster that rotation enough to be playoff ready, I-, I see him being an excellent fit for anyone who's looking for starting pitching help.
1: He's... He's been very good this year. and he, I'm trying to see how much he's throwing that splitter because when he throws it is when he's really good. So 2020, he's throwing the splitter about 41% of the time. So he's literally down to two pitches at this point, four-seamer and splitter, and he throws the, he's thrown 22 sliders all year. So he's down to two pitches. And when, when he can throw that splitter and make it look like a strike – Till it gets to the plate and then it drops off. That's where he lives at. And that's, he's getting 40% of the time he's got whiffs on that pitch, according to, which is, that's one of the best pitches in baseball. If you're getting swings and misses 40% of the time, you're going just fine. So, yeah, I can see he would make sense for a lot of these teams we've talked about. Somebody that you trust to plug into your rotation and eat innings for you. How about for relief pitchers? We
0: mentioned uh, Trevor Rosenthal. Do you see a, a team that's going to just, uh, back up the, the truck and and take him. He's a rental, so it's not going to be a super uh, premium uh, prospect,
1: but I, I don't think it's going to be a cheap thing either. I don't think anybody's going to back up the tr- You're not giving up a top end. Pr- You're not talking about some of these top end prospects or some of these guys. I think an interesting team for Rosenthal is actually within the division with Minnesota. Minnesota, we haven't really mentioned Minnesota very much because they have a, an incredible team already. We're so deep, period. But if there is a spot they could use help, anybody's always going to want help in the bullpen. Anybody's gonna want help in the bullpen. And it's not that Taylor Rogers has been bad, because he certainly hasn't been bad, but Sergio Romo, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Duffy, Matt Whistler, it's it's okay. But you add another guy like Trevor Rosenthal to that team, and it just straight it just lengthens it out even more. So correct. Going from good to great is never a bad thing. I think the twins are an interesting one to watch there because they have I could see the, tie, the Royals being interested in a player like Aldemar Vargas, who's up right now with the Twins. Now, he's, not gonna, he's not factoring into this Twins offense. They don't need him. But switch hitter, who can do a little bit of everything, fits very much with what the Royals have tried to build out there. with These switch hitters who can play a little bit in defense and are very fast. So that type of a play, trade there would seem to make a lot of sense to me. Are there any other relief pitchers that we haven't mentioned that uh, you kind of have your
0: eye on? I mean, we mentioned Greg Holland, Tony Watson from the Giants, a good lefty uh, who's done the the late inning stuff. Uh, if the Angels want to make a, a trade, Ty Buttrey is uh, a guy who's under enough a young pitcher cost controlled uh,
1: and uh, has some uh, some decent talent uh, to him. The Angels are the, the Angels are the weird one. The Angels we haven't really mentioned too much. The Angels because, once again, I thought they'd be much better than they have been, and it they're not going to be buyers at this point, because there's no, I think they're eight, 10 games back or something already of the of the athletics, so there's no point in them buying, but they have some interesting guys to sell. Hansel Robles was supposed to be their closer, has been really bad, but at this point, if you can, a team wants to take a chance on him, maybe they get it back. Uh, Felix Pena, Julio Tehran, they signed him to a, I think it was only a one-year deal, so a, R- rental Ty Butcher you mentioned so there is Dylan some Dylan Bundy, yeah Dylan Bundy. There, there is some talent out there within the bullpen and the rotation that you can try to acquire. It just means that you're going to have to tweak them a little bit because they have not performed great so far.
0: What about for uh, position players? If we stick with the Angels, we mentioned David Fletcher, who's really coming into his own this year. The Angels believe that he could be their their shortstop next year,
1: uh, and uh, so there's reason to keep him. But there could also be reason to sell him. I would sell him. I would sell David Fletcher. I would try to sell Tommy Stella if I could. Tommy Stella's a free agent after this year, so I'd absolutely try to sell Tommy Stella. But once again, it comes down to at this point, David Fletcher has given you more than you could have ever expected. I don't think. The Angels expected David Fletcher to be hitting. Let's check exactly what it's at here. But it's pretty strong, I'm pretty sure. David Fletcher's at 316. So I guarantee you when they said, hey, let's make our lineup, let's put David Fletcher at 316 with a 470 slugging percentage and a 374 on base percentage. That was not the plan. So they're not going to give David Fletcher away. Yes, he's 26, so he's not exactly super young. But under team control, you're not going to give this guy away. He's not a free agent until 2025. can play all over the team. If they get something for him, sure, go for it. But otherwise, I wouldn't just sell for the sake of saying we sold someone.
0: Kyle Seeger is probably the biggest name. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned the Seeger brothers, Kyle Seeger has had a second half of last year was good. Uh, and this year now he's he's uh, especially offensively really playing well. Uh, and the defense has been there. It's been, it's been health has been his biggest challenge. Uh, and he's starting to show back now The catches is the contract that is still there, he's still being paid like $20 million bucks next year. Uh, so how much is uh, Seattle willing to pay? What type of prospect, based upon how much they pay, will you give? Uh, and he's a bit of a roll of the dice, which always gets risky when
1: you have that much money on the line. We're not that far removed from Seeger being a one of the better third basemen in the game, playing consistently 155 games, hitting 25-plus home runs. He hit 20... Over twenty home runs of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight seasons. So, the bat's been there. And this year, the average has jumped way up to three hundred. He's never hit above two seventy eight. So I don't. I'd have to look at the bat up to see how lucky that is. But it's not. It's not super high. It's two ninety one. But now uh-huh. he's been in the uh, two fifty
0: two sixty range uh, for the last couple of seasons. But when he batted two seventy eight. It was a 295 BABIP. So he's in line with what he's done in previous earlier seasons. The question is, do you expect him to be able to sustain something that happened five years ago uh,
1: or not? If you're thinking about teams that could acquire a guy like Kyle Seager, they're going to put him at, he can play third, or you're going to put him at DH. So you're, Cleveland? Cleveland?
0: They're looking for any type of offense that they can get, so that would not be surprising. I think we the they
1: would have to put him at DH, I would think, and I'm trying to think of Fran Mills playing DH for him or the outfield because you're not taking Jose Ramirez off at third base, right? Uh, what about Houston? So they just lost Bregman. I think they're playing Abraham Toro at third, who's a prospect, a Canadian prospect, famously, but not a super high end prospect. I would put, I could see Kyle Seeger fitting in in Houston. They. Need to
0: do something to contend. Whether it's, I mean, yes, you want to add pitching too, but right now they they just need wherever they can make a difference uh, to help that core uh, to supplement that core. That's what they're looking at. Whether it's offense or pitching, uh, wherever they can make their move is what they need to be trying to do. They just got swept by the Padres, so
1: they're they're still fifteen and thirteen. Very much in, very much going to make the playoffs, but they they could use a little more on that team too. I think. Absolutely. Uh, Josh Bell is
0: probably one of the other yeah. names that's there. We talk Pirates. Uh, you know, they have some uh, – uh, Keon Kayla just went on the IL uh, I recently it, here. Yeah. Uh, and, but it, I don't think it was anything major, but that's also going to be an issue as we get closer to that, that deadline here. Uh, but uh, this is uh, a Richard team, Rodriguez, Josh sure. Bell, there's a couple of players. Colin Moran, his exit velocity uh, has been better. His hard-hit uh, percentage. Like, those are some of those underlying things that you like. Again, not a difference-making bat, but someone that could be a piece.
1: So Josh Bell, though, can be a – if there's a team that wants to sell, it's the Pittsburgh Pirates. They need to sell. They need to redo this. And Josh Bell can be a difference-making bat. We're only one year removed from Josh Bell being an MVP contention with 37 home runs and 116 RBIs hitting just shy of 300, 277. So – Something is not working right now with Josh Bell. He is at two home runs, 10 RBIs, and he is currently sitting at a robust 205 in 88 at-bats. Now, he's always drawn double-digit walks. It's always been an on-base machine, even when he wasn't hitting for high averages. He's a switch hitter. But for some reason this year, the walk rate's cut in half, 5% as opposed to its usual 10-plus percent. And the strikeout rate, I mentioned this on whatever podcast it was. Sometime I brought this up. He's, for some reason, he's striking out 30% of the time. This is a guy who's never struck out 20% of the time. So I don't know if it's a cold start that's exacerbated in a 60-game season where one month takes up half the year. Because the rest of the stuff, other than the fact he now strikes out twice as much as he's ever done and the walk rate is cut in half, the rest of it looks exactly like what Josh Bell's always done. Now, he is under contract until 2023 is his first year he's a free agent. So that's a few years. A team who's going to acquire a player like Josh Bell is... Going to give up, even though he started terribly, you're giving up something to get him more than a middle level prospect. I would say you're giving up a high end prospect or a quality major league player. Agreed, and there's the
0: I think that's where the value is going to be a challenge for a guy who's not performing right now, and also a guy who has splits problems. He crushes right handed pitching, but left uh, left handed pitching is not uh, a strength of his. Uh, so you're going to get into challenges of how much do you want to
1: pay for a premium platoon player, but a platoon player nonetheless. Here He is an interesting one. If the Miami Marlins decide to be buyers, he would fit in fairly well down there. And the fact that he's still young, so if you're going to say we're still building for the future, you can make the case that Josh Bell is still maybe not hit his prime. Now, I don't know if he'll ever have a year as good as last year, but he's not certainly done. But you could still fit with a rebuild and – Maybe he figures it out. They've got Jesus Aguilar, who seemingly figured it out right now. But You, you played, also have DH. You still have DH. You have first base. Put him in the middle, see if he can get the mojo back and carry this team to the playoffs. Yeah. That
0: would make a lot of sense as well. Is there any, uh, like, there's some smaller players that are there that can fit in uh, in more small roles from, from catching. You have uh, guys that at least are serviceable veterans, James McCann, Jan Gomes, Austin Romine. Those are some of the guys that could be uh, be out there. Uh, I mentioned from, Pedro Severino
1: at catcher. He's still yep. been really good with Baltimore and that's another one. I mean, we mentioned Santander. You're not going to you're never going to take advantage of the fact that these guys have been so good any better than they currently are doing. So, if I'm Baltimore, I am looking to move a guy like Severino or Santander when their value is at their peak.
0: And from just a, a bat, whether platoon or a DH, uh, we, uh, Wilmer Flores uh, crushes left-handed pitching. He's been doing it for years. He's doing it again this year. Howie Kendrick is back healthy mm-hmm. and uh, someone who does well in that type of uh, role. Jorge Soler, if, uh, if the Royals are willing to part with, they're not willing to part with much of anything. Uh, there are teams that have been mentioned for a while, and I get it. You want to have guys that you can compete with, but there's some challenges there uh, as well. So those are the names that I'm coming up with, and what we're looking at it from a hot stove perspective.
1: Is there anyone that I'm missing? Uh, who do I have here? I have D Gordon. Uh, speed kills. It's he still has the speed, especially in today's era of putting the runner on second base and starting extra innings. We're seeing a lot of teams trying to take advantage of that. He is a free agent after I believe he has a team option after this year, but. He could be someone, he's played outfield, he's played second, he's played short. A team could make a move for a player like D Gordon. Seattle is looking to move on. I don't even think he's playing every day out there. Uh, Miguel Andujar, you hear his name get mentioned all the time for the Yankees. It, two years ago, we almost won the rookie of the year. He plays a horrendous third base. He's not going to be a good fielder for you, but he could. It's another player, just like Clint Frazier, that could be moved as a bat to try to bring some pitching back to New York. I think he would be Awesome if you could put him out in Colorado. I don't know who they're playing at DH out there. He's certainly not playing instead of Nolan Arenado, but uh, Miguel Andujar for a John Gray type of trade would make a lot of sense for both teams. That
0: does. I think that's uh, a very intriguing one there. Uh, And a type of move that the Rockies could make that's kind of not a uh, step backwards, but just repositioning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, again, a, a type of bat that could flourish very well. Uh, in the
1: Colorado home, I want to mention he's hurt right now. We're only a couple of years of it removed from him being the Juan Soto of the American League. Let's talk about Andrew Benintendi. Does he yeah. have any value at all for Boston?
0: They're going to try to trump up any value they can get, uh, but he he had such a high ceiling, high uh, promise. Uh, just a couple of seasons ago, and he has not developed the way many of their other players at the same time did. When you're talking about Xander Bogards, you're talking about Raphael Davers, and you're talking uh, Mookie Betts, Like he was in that same breath with all of them.
1: Yep.
0: And it beat? just hasn't happened.
1: No, so he's, two years, or three years ago, 20-20, 20 home runs, 90 RBIs, 20 steals, hit 271. Then 16 home runs with 103 runs, 21 steals, hit 290. And last year fell off a little bit. Thirteen home runs, ten steals, hit two sixty-six. And this year, we mentioned he's hurt, but he hadn't hit a home run. He stole one base and he was hitting one oh three. So I I don't know if anybody wants to take the risk on him at this point, but I said we're only a couple of rears removed from him being being considered a very, very high end prospect who was going to be a building block for the Red Sox. I think they'd like to try to get something out of him while they still can, but him being hurt does not help that. The only other name I have down is Houston. We expect them to be a buyer, but I think they could sell Josh Reddick if they really wanted to. He's one of the rentals that does make sense where they have
0: uh, – uh, where they could still contend and yet trade him to maybe get a uh, – Some a bullpen, bullpen help. help. Bullpen Absolutely. help is what
1: I would think when I saw Josh Reddick. I thought Josh Reddick, they can play Kyle Tucker in right field. He's He had a three triple. Do you see that he almost – he hit for the cycle, but instead of stopping at second, he went for the two triples in a game. I love it when a player is willing to do that. That to me is the same uh, 3-0 swing Mm -hmm. uh, with it. I love that. So uh, that was another name I had. Otherwise, we hit on most of the names I had on here as players to watch this upcoming week to be traded.
0: And we're not many days away. Next weekend is uh, when we will recap it. And we'll see uh, who actually got moved, what teams actually do what, and see how close we were with with this uh, primer leading up to it. So let's close with... uh, uh,
1: our matchup match of the week. It's my turn here. I got him this week. So early in the week, Monday through Wednesday, this is the time we've finally been waiting for. We wanted to see what the Dodgers do versus the Rockies, and it that proved that the Dodgers were very good, and the Rockies weren't as good as we hoped they were. But let's see the Twins versus the Indians. The Twins still pounding the cover off the ball, playing some very good offense. One Winners of the last two, seven and 7-3 in their last 10, 19-10 overall. The Cleveland Indians also 7-3 and three in their last 10. Game and a half back, Minnesota, Cleveland, Monday through Wednesday. As far as individual pitching matchups, I got two for you. On Tuesday night, Luis Castillo, I said, the peripherals look incredible. If you've never seen the changeup, watch it because it is worth the time in itself. Versus Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers. The Brewers have been struggling. Brandon Woodruff has not been struggling. He has a very impressive fastball. And on Thursday night, this is the game on national TV. So if you have Fox, and I'm assuming most people have Fox, you can watch it. Aaron Nola versus Max Scherzer.
0: There's going to be some uh, fun matchups, and, and uh, from a pitching standpoint and team standpoint, this week is it Yankees and Braves also this week? I thought I was seeing something about check. that. Uh, so we have some uh, some good matchups this week, uh, and i'll I'll end it on this uh, on this non baseball note. Uh, Luka Doncic uh, <laughs> has been otherworldly uh, for a while now,
1: and yes, it is Yankees uh, Braves
0: and uh, someone who, uh, again, some different uh, uh, trash-talking that went uh, over the line uh, in this uh, testy playoff series. I heard about that. And uh, there's been a lot of commentary on it. I'm not here to dive into that, but what I will say is I love it when players respond on the court. And what happens today? The beautiful crossover in the middle of a triple-double, game-winner, three-point shot, nothing but net, uh, that's how you answer in sports. It's Luke not Doncic. about the trash-talking. It's about uh, the performance on the field, and you couldn't put a better exp-
1: exclamation point uh, to that. Luka it's a superstar. He's the Fernando Tatisa of their game and that he's this young superstar of the game who's going to carry it for the next 10 years. The fact that the Atlanta Hawks drafted Luka Doncic and traded him. I like Trey Young. Trey Young's a fun player to watch too. But the fact that you had Luka Doncic somehow fall to you at four in the draft and you traded him away is just, what a blunder. Because <laughs> how do you pass on that guy? What happened uh, today uh, was
0: Jordan-esque, and I'm not saying oh. that lightly. Oh, yeah. uh, not just with the game winner, but he had one of those where he was trying to convince the, the Mavericks medical staff that he could play in this game uh, about 40 hours after spraining his left ankle. Have you watched the NBA playoffs?
1: You watched the NBA playoffs just just little snippets. I'm still sort of mad at the NBA. Not not to get political, I'm still sort of mad at the NBA. But I did watch the Bucks, and at least they won a couple games because I was beginning to worry that they were going to really let me down and not even win one series the way they've been going into it. So, go Bucks! And uh, 43 points,
0: 17 rebounds, 13 assists. After worried about the the uh, ankle, the step back three point shot, uh, the overtime win over the Clippers. Uh, again, those are the types of things that you heard Jordan in the uh, uh, in the uh, ESPN documentary talk about. So, uh, uh, so I'm sure this motivated him. I, I sure. wish that would have been his quote afterwards with this. Like this happened, and so that motivated me, as Jordan said repeatedly
1: on the <laughs> I'm sure on the that, documentary. I'm sure Luka Doncic does not struggle to find his motivation. All he has to do is remember the fact that people said he couldn't play in this game because he was from Europe all that stuff about Luka Doncic being Europe and not having the NBA body and all that stuff just just watch him play.
0: <laughs> On that note, you guys have a great week. We'll be back uh, to talk uh trading deadline recap as well as kind of do a uh, a playoff check and we're going to go division by division and see where teams stand. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>